Uh, all right, if you have a Bible with you, would you please turn to Luke chapter 15? And if you don't have a Bible, um, there should be a red one like this close by. Uh, use this this morning. And if you don't have a Bible at home, I'd love for you to take this home with you. This is our gift to you. We want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to hear the Word of God for themselves. And if you are using this Bible, it's on page 510. We're looking at Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're continuing our sermon series through the parables uh, that Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, we're going to look at perhaps what is the most familiar set of parables that Jesus teaches, uh, both in the Christian world and in the non-Christian world. This is the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. I'm sure you've heard these stories before. And we've been saying all along in this series that parables are simply this. They're stories that teach us what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And we've said that living in the kingdom of God has implications for every sphere of our lives. Uh, We've looked at how we hear God's word and respond to God's word. We've looked at how we use our, our money and our possessions. We've looked at how we love our neighbor and how we go to God in prayer. And this morning, we're actually going to step back a little bit. We're not going to look at a specific element of living in the kingdom. We're going to ask the bigger question of, how do we enter the kingdom to begin with? What does it look like to join with the people of God that Jesus is gathering around him? So we're going to ask the question this morning, what does it even look like to join the kingdom of God? What does it look like to enter into a relationship with God? What does it look like to come back to God even for some people? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, so if you have your bulletin on the back, there's a space for sermon notes if you want to follow along. Here are the three points that we're going to look at this morning. So what does it look like to get back to God? One, it means we have to admit how lost we really are. It means we have to turn and go the other way. And it means we have to join the celebration when we get home. So admit how lost we really are, turn and go the other way, and join the celebration when we get home. Let us read Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 24. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. We thank you for this illustration, this reminder of your love towards us. Let us hear your word. Let us respond through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, we need to admit just how lost we really are. We haven't spent much time in this series looking at the life of Jesus. We've really focused on his teachings. But I think for this, it's important to remember that at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for the last time. And he, on the way, he's stopping in town after town, and he's teaching. And along the way, people are gathering around him and saying, yes, I want to follow this man. I, I've heard him I believe he is who he says he is, and I want to follow him. So all along the way, Jesus is gathering people to himself. He's starting this new religious movement, a new community. But not everyone is a fan of this. Because also along the way, the religious leaders of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they have grown more and more opposed to not only Jesus, but to the kinds of people that Jesus is gathering. In fact, this is how our passage begins. Look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, that's the religious leaders of the day, they were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The leaders were disgusted by the kinds of people that Jesus was choosing to associate with. Uh, the tax collectors and sinners, this is just a, a fancy way of saying these people had forfeited their relationship to God because of a godless lifestyle that they had been living. And the religious teachers of the day said, do not associate with them. I mean, the, the, it's awful. They're grumbling, saying, why would you be with them? Why would you choose to go with them? And it's not so much uh, that they wouldn't want to be with them. I mean, if you were starting a new religious community, why would you choose them to start it with? And yet these are the people that Jesus is choosing to form a community with. It's the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who are morally outcasts, that Jesus 
is associating with. These are not the kinds of people that I, by default, would choose to be with. Maybe you too. But Jesus is moving towards them. And Jesus shares these three parables to reinforce this idea. He shares these three parables to say, God is for the lost. I mean, he shares the parable of the lost sheep that the shepherd goes after. He shares the parable of the lost coin that the woman is sweeping diligently for. He shares the parable of the lost son and the father who runs after the son while he's still a long way off. In many regards, it is only the lost that Jesus is drawing towards. He says in another part of the gospel that he came to seek and to save the lost. He is drawing near to the lost. And so you and I, If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be part of the community that Jesus is creating, if we want to be part of a church that says, yes, we are following Jesus, the first thing we have to do is admit that we're lost. That's hard. Uh, I am probably the absolute worst backseat driver. Uh, It doesn't matter if I'm in the backseat or the passenger seat. I, I hate it, and it drives my wife crazy. I have to be the one driving. Because when I'm driving, I'm in control. You know, I I don't care what music is on, but I care how the mirrors are, and I care that the gas tank is full. I care about driving. I want to be in control, and it extends not only to the driving itself, but where we're going. You know, I want to make sure that we leave on time to make sure we get there on time. I want to make sure I know where we're going, if we're going to a new place. I'll, like, look up the map and then memorize it, so that I don't have to look at my phone, because get this, using a GPS system is showing your weakness. You know, using a GPS system is saying, I don't know how to get there. So I memorize the directions. And so you can imagine that I hate asking for directions. I, I hate admitting that I'm lost. I mean, I, I've, I don't think I've ever pulled off on the side of the road and I've gone to someone and say, hey man, I'm lost. Can you show me where to go? I, uh, in my understanding, that would the admitting weakness, failure, it's awful. I'm the worst. I hate to admit when I'm lost. And I think that's true for everyone, not just in driving, but it's hard for us to admit when we've failed, when, when we've fallen short of a standard that we've set up for ourselves, whether it's our own standard or the standard that God has given us. It's hard for us to admit when we're lost because it shows weakness, It shows insecurity. It shows deficiency. But Jesus says we need to admit when we're lost. We need to remember that Jesus is moving towards the sinners. He's moving towards the lost. Because it's knowing that he's moving towards us that enables us to admit when we're lost. The lost sheep, I think, shows us just how lost we really are. Now, before, you know... The Bible talks about us being sheep a lot. Psalm 23, one of the most familiar psalms, talks about us being sheep, and that should be comforting to us. But I don't think being called a sheep is uh, a compliment. I think it's actually a little bit of an insult. Because sheep, to begin with, are notoriously dumb. (laughs) They're dumb animals. They, They really can't do much. They can't feed themselves. They don't know where to go for fresh grass or water. They can't protect themselves. They don't have claws. Their sheep or their teeth are not sharp. They can't run away from danger. And when they get lost, they are stuck. 
They don't know how to get back home. They can't care for themselves, they can't protect themselves, and they wander away. And so we are like sheep, Jesus is saying in this parable. But more than that, we're like a lost sheep. You know, it's not just that we're sheep, we're a lost sheep. We've wandered away from the pack, we're away from our shepherd, we're wandering alone without food or water, and if we are there long enough, we will surely perish. That is just how far lost we really are. Now, some people, I think, readily understand and are willing to admit just how lost they are. Um, You know, some people understand that they've hit rock bottom. I remember a time in college, early in college, there was this specific weekend. I remember it vividly. A relationship had just ended, and I was in deep depression. Uh, I was caught up in an addiction that I could not kick. And I had a friend visiting that weekend who was promising to bring a lot of alcohol to help me deal with my life. And uh, after an interesting weekend, I woke up the next day, not sure how I got home. And in my desperation, hitting rock bottom, I reached out to a trusted friend and said, I need help. It was very easy for me to admit just how far lost I was. I've heard other stories. I I know a guy who, uh, you know, Seemingly, everything about his life was going well. He had a great job, just moved into a house. He had a wife and a dog. Things were going really well for his life. But it was found out that there was, under the surface, a secret affair going on with a colleague. And out of desperation, he got caught and in depression. He was fearing that his, you know, his life was over. He turned to counseling. And he admitted how far lost he was and sought help and began to see reconciliation. It's easy, I think, for some people who have hit rock bottom to admit just how far lost they are. I think it's actually harder for people who haven't yet hit rock bottom to admit it. But Jesus is inviting us to admit that we're lost. And here, please take my advice. Admit that you're lost before you hit rock bottom. Because if you just let it keep going, you're going to hurt yourself and hurt those around you that love you. But Jesus invites you to admit just how far lost you are. And so if you are, if you are caught in addiction, find a friend, find a a trusted Christian friend. Join one of the story groups and grow into a relationship with one of us. We'd love to care for you and walk alongside you. If, If you've got in your heart this desire for another, you know, If only I had this job, or if only I had this spouse, or if only I had this in my life, then my life would be better. That's just the beginning of a road that leads you down to the rock bottom. Find someone that you can trust. Come talk to me. Admit that you're lost. Jesus is saying, if you want to join my community, you have to first admit just how lost you are. That's the first thing we need to do. But second, he says, We need to turn and go the other way. Jesus concludes each of these three parables uh, in this way. Actually, just look at the first one in verse 7. Jesus says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the way that each of the parables ends. He says there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. Now that word repentance is scary. I admit it. 
I don't like hearing that word repent. I know, I know for some people, hearing that word conjures up a, an image of a, of a guy standing on a soapbox on a college street corner with a big sign and a bullhorn that says, repent. Or maybe you, the crazy guy in the movies with the sign that says, the rapture is coming, repent. It's scary. And it's done a lot of damage. You know, people typically use that word to say this. You are not living your life the way I think you should be living it. You need to repent and start living like me. We don't like that word because there's, there's a sense of arrogance to it and pride and judgmentalism. It's a scary word. And so we need to be really careful that we know what Jesus is talking about because he says it three times. Repent. Here's what repentance means. It means to turn, to, to change. Uh, it means to change your understanding, to change your perception of, of who you are, of what's going on around you, to change your understanding of who God is. It's an invitation to change, to turn from one way to another. If you're going down one way to repent, it's just to stop and turn and start going the other way. This is what we mean at Story Church when we say that we exist to invite neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus. That's what we are here to do. And what I mean by that is this. As we build relationships with neighbors, as we love them and get to know their lives and share our lives with them, as we share the love of Jesus with them, we are praying that as we share the gospel, these neighbors would understand, I am living my life this way. I've got my own story where I am the king. We want them to stop and to become aware of that reality and say, this is headed towards rock bottom. We want to invite them to step out of that story and into a new story, a story shaped by Jesus where Jesus is the king, Jesus is the hero, Jesus is our savior. That's all that we mean by that. We want people to step out of their story and step into a new story shaped by Jesus. That's what repentance means. Jesus is inviting us to cling to a new story, a new hope, a savior in himself. But once we entered that new story, once we turn from our old ways to our new ways, it's not as though we have no further need to repent. You know, yes, we, we do need to repent and place our faith in Jesus, but Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said that the whole life of the Christian needs to be one of repentance. The whole life of a Christian needs to be one of saying, I need to let go of what I'm holding on to and cling to Jesus. I need to take off the identity that I've been building for myself and put on Jesus. I need to step out of my story and step into the story of Jesus. The whole life of a Christian, the whole life of us at Story Church should be one of saying, I need to let go and grasp Jesus. This is exactly what is happening to the prodigal son in the third parable. After running away from home, squandering his wealth on reckless living, he is at rock bottom. He's feeding food to pigs, and if you were a Jew, that would have been detestable. He knew his life was over, but look at verse 17. This is his coming awake moment. He says this, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son came to himself. He, he became aware of what's going on in his life. He became aware of who he was and what he had been doing and what was available to him back home. This is just Jesus' way of saying he repented. He turned and went the other way. But before we move on from here, I think it's really important to clarify just what this son was saying to himself. Look, in our day and age, we have this unwritten rule that if you've messed up your life, then you've got to get yourself out of it. We've got this unwritten rule that says, hey, if you want to demonstrate that you've really changed, you better prove it. You better get yourself out of the pit, find yourself a good job, get your life back on track, and then I'll hear what you've got to say. Then I'll welcome you back into the community. We've, I think that we read this cultural norm onto what the son is saying. We think that he's saying, Dad, let me work to repay you. Dad, let me just be one of your servants and, and prove to you that I'm not the son that you think I am. Let me work my way out of the pit. We think that that's what he's saying, but actually that's not what he's emphasizing. Rather, he's telling himself, remember how gracious my father is. Remember that even the servants have far more bread than they could ever need. Remember how gracious and merciful he is. The son is not saying, let me work my way out of my mess. He is saying, let, my, let me throw myself onto the mercy of my father. This is what's so amazing about these parables. God is the God of mercy and grace. He freely and lavishly pours out forgiveness on all who come to him. Come just as you are. It doesn't matter. He pours out mercy. He does not say, clean yourself up and then we'll talk. He doesn't say, demonstrate that you've really changed and then I'll take notice. No. The grace of God cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. It can only be received. Yes, turn from your ways, but turn to God. Throw yourself at his mercy. Throw yourself onto his grace. Say, I am lost. I need help. Come save me. Come rescue me. Jesus is inviting us to repent and to cling to God's mercies. And it sounds easy. It sounds just as simple as saying, I need to let go and take hold. It means turning around. It sounds so easy, but for some of us, it will be hard. I, I, I heard this illustration that helped me understand just what repentance looks like in some of our lives. Imagine you're hiking and you're going down the trail, but then you realize, I, I think I'm on the wrong path. It's really easy to stop, turn around, and go the other way. Now, imagine you're riding a bike down the trail. Uh, you realize you're going the wrong way. You got to slow down. It takes a little bit longer. You have to turn the bike around, and then you got to work to pedal to get back up to speed. It's a little bit harder, right? Now, imagine you're going, you're driving down the road in a car, and you realize you're going the wrong way. It's going to take a lot longer. You got to stop, make a couple turns, maybe go out of your way to get back on the right road. It takes quite a bit longer than riding a bike. Now, I've never been on a speedboat, but imagine you're riding a speedboat or piloting a speedboat and you have to turn around. It's going to take a whole lot longer than a car because you're already going faster. It's harder to stop, much longer to turn, and then you've got to get back up to speed. Now, imagine piloting a super tanker. 
Just imagine how long it would take to turn around and go the other way. For some of us, repenting will be easy. There are some sins that we'll be able to just let go of and grab hold of God, but for many others, maybe all of us, at some point in our lives, it's going to take work. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. But by God's grace, he will lead you as you turn around and cling to him. Jesus is gathering a new community, and he says, first, if you want to be with me, you have to admit just how far lost you are. And secondly, you have to turn and go the other way. Turn from your life and follow me. And third, this parable says, if you want to be part of my new community, you have to join in the celebration that awaits you when you get home. Every one of these parables concludes the same way. Celebration. When the shepherd returns with the sheep, he calls together his friends and has a big party. When the woman finds the coin, she invites her friends over and they have a big party. And when the father runs to his son, he welcomes him back home and read what he does in verse 23. The father says, bring the fattened calf, you know the one I'm talking about, and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. There is great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who need no repentance. There is great joy when a sinner repents and follows God. There is great joy when the son who is lost is now found. There is a celebration. We were designed to enter into that celebration. We were made to enter into that joyful fellowship with the Father. Way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, he walked with them. He fellowshiped with them. And there was great joy and great celebration. And he says, this can always be yours. You can always enjoy life with me as long as you don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if and when you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. You don't have to grow up in church to know just how that story ends. Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. Their relationship with God was severed. They were banished from paradise they couldn't enjoy the intimacy and the fellowship with their creator. And they began to experience pain and suffering as they spread out in the world. And they began to feel physically what they had done spiritually. Because when they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. And then they began physically to experience that. And that death has passed down from generation after generation after generation so that everyone in this room right now and every one of our neighbors outside is experiencing the effects of that spiritual death. Every one of us, we are lost. We are broken. We need to be found. We are dead. This is what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says, he says, for we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see in this passage? 
there is a celebration waiting for us. There is rejoicing in heaven for those who are dead and come back to life. There is celebration for those who were lost and have been found. For those who have turned back to God, there is celebration. Brothers and sisters, we were dead in our sins, but Jesus has made us alive. Paul continues after saying that we were dead in our sins. He says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. There is joy in heaven when we come back to God. There is great joy and celebration because God has made us alive. You see, God is the shepherd who goes and finds the lost sheep. God is the woman who searches diligently for the lost coin. God is the father who runs to us his lost children. God is the one who cares for you, loves you, searches for you, and is wooing you back to himself. Do you need more proof? Just look to Jesus. Jesus is the chief example that God loves sinners like you and I. Jesus is the example that God loves you and welcomes you into his community. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He became flesh and blood just like us so that he could identify with us, so that he could draw near to us, so that he could find us and search us out and seek us. Jesus he loves us and associates with us. He seeks and saves the lost. He eats and drinks with sinners like us. He is our proof that God loves us. He becomes not just God incarnate, but the way for us to come back to God. He doesn't say, if you want to come back to God, start living your life this way. He doesn't say, if you want to come back to God, listen to my teachings and obey. He says, if you want to come back to God, come to me. Let me take your sin. Let me take your guilt and your shame. Let me take it off your shoulders and put it on mine. Let me die for you. Yes, you are dead in your sins, but I will die for you. Yes, you are lost in your sins, but I will experience the darkness of being lost from the Father's love. When Jesus went to the cross, he enabled us. He gave us the power to admit that we're lost. He, he gave us the strength to turn and turn away from our lives and turn to him. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he has taken away your sin, taken away your guilt, taken away your shame. And he invites us back to God. There's a celebration at the end of these parables. The father recognizes that his son has come back. His son was dead and now is alive. And there's a party. It's a resurrection celebration. You and I are invited to the celebration meal also. Every week we end our sermon with uh, responding with the Lord's Supper, which is just that, a celebration that because Jesus died for you, although you are dead in your sins, he has made you alive with him. So if you are not a Christian, if you feel like you've reached rock bottom, 
Or maybe you've recognized my life is headed that way. Jesus can turn you back. Turn to him. He can forgive you. He can make you alive. But if you are a Christian, come this morning. Be encouraged and nourished. Be reminded that although we were dead, Jesus has made us alive. Let's pray.